Welcome new and old friends. My name is 242, and today I've got a compilation for you. Putting all those Halloween treats in one spot for you. So, remember to like, share, subscribe, and comment. Now, turn off your lights, make sure your doors and windows are locked. Things are about to get spooky. I probably shouldn't have left my co-worker alone. But I just need a break from his constant complaint about how depressing his life was. I really shouldn't have left him alone. I thought as I found the cockpit door to be locked from the inside. Wales from the Void by J Stories 1 First known section of the tablet. Any who found this, I know not why you are here. Perhaps it's chance, or perhaps you followed the same signal we did. If you are reading this, illegible. Our response was the same. When the signal reached us from across the stars, we went. This was not the first such message we received. Protocols were in place, and we followed them. It was the year 4257 by our standards when this particular signal was detected. Like always, it was a communication to the cosmos. It was the species' first attempt at communication among themselves. Even so, it was an indication of intelligent life. Our ship was launched. Each time we detected a civilization, we were hopeful. Optimistic that we were not alone in the void of space. Unfortunately, we have always been disappointed. The signals, electromagnetic waves, travel slowly through space. When such signals reach our sensors, they are millions of years old. If not older. Still, we have responded to every signal thus far. The first one we couldn't hunt down. Our receptor technology advanced faster than our spacefaring. History told us that we tried to respond, but received no answer. It wasn't until the year 2874 that we had reliable space travel, and not until 3752 that we had faster then. Intelligible. Tablet broken. Proceeding to next section. We had no neighbors. All we found were broken world devoid of life. Some wrecked by war, others famine, many pestilence. Desolate world after desolate world filled with the bones and carcasses of its former inhabitants. Only fading signs left of that once glorious civilization that were built there. This led the signals we received to take on a rather morbid epithet. We called them whales. Which leads to me. Who I am is not important. I am the captain of the ship that followed the whale here. To a small world in a small galaxy. It is my responsibility to leave this memorial. 
as we have left them on so many other worlds. A sign that life once flourished here, and that it still does in another part of the cosmos. Our scientists say this world was once green and blue, that life, carbon-based, thrived here. The dominant species was a group of bipedal primates. They called themselves humans. Their world, wrecked by pollution, eventually gave out. It had almost happened to us. We were too late to save them. They were a noble species. Studies indicate a strong familial bond as well as robust communities. They were just beginning to leave their planet. Intelligible. So we leave this marker carved into element number 22, atomic weight 47,867. On this world, it was called titanium, the most robust material we can mine from the geography. This record, written our language and many of theirs as we can translate as left from others who might come here, we have. You are not alone. This universe holds more than death. You are not alone. Coordinates to our unintelligible tablet broken. This small tablet was recovered on an uninhabited world orbiting a small yellow star in a spiral galaxy on the edge of Sector 215-648-329. The tablet was recovered in pieces. This was a recreation with all the pieces found. No other portions or whole tablet was located. Location of the tablet's creators not found. No other signs of life or civilization were found on this world. This remains the only sign of interstellar life outside our own species. As I dragged the screen prints across the checkered floor to the altar on the other side, he yelled out, Why? The rules are always clear, the bishop said as he pulled out an old knife. If we send a pawn to the other side, we can bring back a queen. Invasion by Sean E. Britton Narrated by 242 with special guests, limited stories, and the Night's End podcast. Mr. Tallman, Mr. Tallman, can you hear me? What? Where am I? What's happened? Mr. Tallman, can you hear me? Do you know where you are? Of course I can hear you. I don't know where I am. No. How is your vision? Can you see how many fingers I'm holding up? Are there... Are these handcuffs? Why am I wearing handcuffs? Mr. Tolman, our time is short. Please answer my questions. Two, you're holding up two fingers. Uh, have I been in some kind of accident? My family, are my family okay? My wife's name is Kamala, and I have two little girls. As far as we know, they are alive, Mr. Tolman, but they're not in this facility. What happened? Was it an accident? 
Let's go with that for now. Mr. Tolman, I... You can call me Phil. Fine, Phil. I didn't get your name. My name is Special Agent Allison Mathers. Wow, special. Mr. Tolman, Phil. Can I get these handcuffs taken off, please? We need to leave those on for the moment. Am I in trouble? No, not exactly. But we need to leave them on until you answer some of our questions. Who's he? In the corner. This is Special Agent Tolton. Phil, I need to ask you some questions. And then we can resolve the handcuffs. Maybe we can see about getting you something to eat and track down anything we know about your family. Okay, yeah, okay. I am kind of hungry now that you mentioned it. But I don't understand- Mr. Tolman. Phil. You just woken up from a long sleep. It is important that you tell me the last thing you remember. Jesus, it's all kind of a blur. We were driving somewhere. We were all together and we were driving somewhere. Me, my wife, and the girls. Is that what happened? Were we in a car accident? Do you remember where you were driving? That's right, the meteor shower. We were going to go watch the meteor shower. We got there and parked, and we were looking for a place to put a blanket down. There were way more people than I was expecting. It was supposed to be pretty spectacular. That's what they said on TV, right? That's good. Actually, that's really good. Do you remember anything after that? After that? Was there something after that? I don't... Maybe? It's weird. Kind of like remembering something when I was drunk. Phil, can you close your eyes for a moment? Close my eyes? Close your eyes, and Phil, I want you to imagine a light all around you. Imagine it's almost like your skin is glowing. A light? Some of the other survivors have described it like that. A light, and it's kind of hot and cold at the same time. First it's on your skin, but then it's inside you. Imagine it making its way inside you. Oh, oh, I I remember something. That sounds familiar? Yeah, it's like hurt, but it was a good kind of hurt. Like in your muscles after a big workout. What? What happened? It came from the meteor shower, didn't it? I remember the lights in the sky, and then the lights were falling, and it's like they were touching us. Phil, keep your eyes closed. Hold on to that feeling, okay? Remember that light inside you. You are doing really well. Oh, oh God. I remember the light was inside my head. It was like it was pushing me out, like there wasn't enough room for the both of us. It was pushing down on my bones. My stomach, my brain, I felt heavy and weightless and like I wasn't in control. Other people have described it like that too. You're doing very well. What do you remember next? I don't understand. Phil, please, we don't have a lot of time. If you want to help your family, I need you to remember. Kamala, the girls, they were there, 
but it's like it didn't matter anymore. Like they weren't any more important than anyone else, I guess. Everyone, everyone in the park. We were all moving in the same direction. We were all... The lights was inside of them too. Oh. Oh God. What is it, Phil? I heard someone. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. Is that why I'm in these cuffs? I had... Oh. I had my hands around his throat and it was... It wasn't me. I wasn't in control. You have to believe me. It's like I couldn't hold on to anything. My mind kept bouncing through time and I couldn't hold on. Was this some kind of drug? Some kind of... Biological attack? Yes, some kind of attack. Phil, I need you to keep remembering. No, no. What is this? What happened? What happened to my wife and daughters? Mr. Tolman. No, I'm not answering more questions until you tell me what happened. Phil, you're right. This was an attack. This was an attack, but... It wasn't biological. It wasn't earthly. It came with a meteor shower. It targeted large groups of people who were outside to watch. Some describe it like rain, like pure white rain of light that started falling on people. And it changed them. No. You're saying aliens? Is that what you're saying? That's crazy. If you have any other explanation on what you remember, Phil, believe me, we'd be only too happy to hear it. This is an invasion? The light changed people, and we've been fighting them, fighting you. We have brought you out from under the control, but you need to answer our questions before your memories of that time fade out of your head. How long? It's been 15 days since the meteor shower. Now, please, Phil, what do you remember next? It's really been two weeks? It was a police station. That's where we went first. And then a gun store. We, they, wanted weapons. I don't know. It's like when I was there and everyone else was there. I could feel them. I could feel their memories. But the light was so much bigger and stronger than all of us. No one was giving us orders. We just all decided to do the same thing at the same time. I don't know how else to describe it, but I think it was using our memories to figure out where we get the weapons and the vehicles and where to hide. It's really been two weeks? You said hiding. Where have you been hiding? Uh, underground I think. It's dark. Do you remember where we picked you up, Phil? We know you, or the light, those being controlled. We know you've been using the subway. Right, the subway. That makes sense. Do you remember any signs, any writing, anything that might indicate where your main base was? Brighton Street. I remember a lot of warning signs. Maybe construction. And the museum stop? The controlled have been taking people. We know they're holding them somewhere. Do you remember seeing any big groups of people that were not controlled but were being held? I... I... 
Why would they do that? Why would they take people? Phil, please, we don't have a lot of time here. Why do you keep checking that? Is there a timer? What's gonna happen when the time runs out? I told you, the memories of your time being a troll don't last very long. Soon you'll forget everything after that meteor shower. Now tell me what you remember. Museum. The museum stop. Some kind of underground? I don't know. I think they were building some stores and parking near there. Construction? We were keeping people trapped there. You're doing really well, Phil. Better than about 90% of the people we've talked to. Do you remember anything about how you were getting past the barricades, past the quarantine? No, no, I don't. I don't think I was a part of that. I stayed in the city, in the tunnels. Do you know what they were planning? What their next move was going to be? Remember the light, Phil. Remember what it felt like. No, it didn't. It didn't work like that. There were no plans, no thinking about the future. It's like everyone made a decision at once and you just did it. There was no you or me anymore. Agent Mathis. Oh wow, he speaks. Your friend speaks. Agent Mathis, I'm afraid we're out of time. Phil, I'm sorry. Is there anything else you can remember? It's all... two weeks? It's really been two weeks? It's all bits and pieces what he's talking about though. I can still remember stuff. I'm sorry, Phil. We could only bring you out from under their control, but it's only temporary right now. It's only temporary, and it only works once. Is that a gun? No, no. I told you everything. I know. I'm, I'm sorry, Phil. It's a hive mind. The light. It, it's a hive mind. We need all the intel we can get, but we can't let it know we've taken you. Don't do this, please. My wife. My girls. I promise you, Phil. We have no intel on them. They have not been killed nor been captured as far as we know. If we find some way to revoke the hive mind permanently... You can't do this! I'm sorry. Agent Thalton, please. No, please. I didn't cry when she said she was leaving me or when she walked out the door. I just clicked terminate on the digital chart and entered the notation. Amanda, number 46, unsuccessful. Salvage genetic material for analyzing prior to next clone generation. After a grueling 12-hour shift and a tasteless meal and a long bus ride home, I stumbled into my tiny, dark apartment, opened a beer, and collapsed on the couch in front of the TV. Tomorrow, it will be the same. And the day after. And the day after that. And the day after that. And the day after that. Guardian Angels by Caterpillar Puzzle 32 
I've told this story many, many times to others that are non-believers. I'm sorry if there's any spelling mistakes due to English not being my first language. And I also want to mention that this is my first one, but here we go. Before I start telling the story, I want to tell you about the dog my grandparents had. Her name was Billy, and we were one soul. She died at a really young age due to kidney failure. And to understand how close we were, we did everything together. I even understood when she wanted to tell me something. I never experienced something like that with an animal, but she was very special. And the most important thing that has to do with this story is that she always wanted to protect me. Now to the story. As a child, I practiced handball for many years. I always walked to my practices, and to go there, I had to cross a street. I crossed this street thousands of times before, but sadly, a lot of people don't care about the speed limit and go a lot faster. My mother made me very paranoid about crossing the streets and getting hit by a car, so I always checked multiple times if a car was coming or not. So little me checked if there was safe to go, and when I was sure no car was coming, I went my way. As soon as I set foot on the road, a car was racing towards me at very high speeds. My 7-8 to eight year old self honestly thought at that moment, Okay, that was it. I'm going to die. Until I felt two strong arms wrap around my stomach and a tug on my leg. I was now back on the sidewalk and the car flew by. Someone saved me, I thought in my head. With tears in my eyes, I turned around to thank the person that just saved me from death. But there was nobody. Not a single soul. The weird thing is that normally there are always people walking by or cars driving past the street. But not this time. I was very confused and went home totally forgetting where I was originally heading. As I walked into my flat, my mother looked at me and said something about me looking like I'd seen a ghost. Well, I guess kinda. I told my mother what happened, and she said that one of my guardian angels must have saved me. She told me about my great-grandfather had passed away before my birth. That night, I dreamt about a man with a big, rushy eyebrows and my dog Billy next to him. So I went up to him to say hi and thanked him for taking care of my dog. Some years later, I finally saw a picture of my great-grandfather for the first time ever, and I was shocked. He was the man I saw in my dream that night. I truly believe that they saved me that day. I was shocked when the doctor told me I was technically dead for three whole minutes. Time moves quite differently in hell. I saw something that I wasn't supposed to see, posted by 6,081 Miles, narrated by P.A. Nightmares. I was once working as a receptionist at a five-star resort that's about 45 minutes away from the city center. Everyone who has worked in tourism and or hospitality knows that there are certain periods during the year where it's busier than usual, i.e. peak season. The incident happened during peak season, 
The resort was overbooked, and guests were checking into their rooms one after another at the reception counter. I was almost done checking in as a lovely couple when I saw a family of five standing behind them, and I tried to finish up the whole check-in process so I could assist the family that was next in line. You must be thinking when I said family of five, it's the parents and the three kids, right? But it's actually two kids and one elderly woman, who at the time I assumed was either the husband or wife's mother. Now, the resort's policy was to get the details of every guest that was staying in the resort. And it's for good reason, safety. It's the same reason that all the airlines are doing when they obtain their passengers' information. So I told the husband that we need everyone's details, and he just said, Sure, no problem. And of course, I was expecting five names on the registration form. By the time I realized that there were only four names, the family was already at the concierge area to pick up their luggage, and then left to go to their room. I couldn't go after them as I was assisting another guest. Like I said, it was peak season, so all I could do was just watch them from afar, walking towards the elevators, then disappearing from sight. The whole time they were walking, the old woman just followed them from behind quietly, but I didn't give much thought to it. I went right back to assisting the guest that was right in front of me. After the buzz had died down at around 4pm, I decided to ring the family's room to inform them that they were missing details. The husband came down to the reception alone, and I told him I needed the info of his or his wife's mother's info. The man just stood there, stared at me for what felt like a minute, and said, It's only my wife and I and our two kids. Me being confused obviously said, But, sir, I saw that there were five of you. At this point, I thought he was lying to avoid paying for a third person's charge for one of the rooms. They got two rooms, and one room only had enough amenities for two people. Same goes for the buffet breakfast that's included. He took another minute and asked me what did this elderly woman look like, to which I explained that she had gray hair and it was short, like a bob haircut. I also told him that she was wearing this red Chung Sam shirt, similar to this, with long black slack pants. Right after I told him that, he quickly took out his phone, frantically scrolled for a few seconds, and showed me a picture of the same woman in the same clothing, lying in a coffin that had a clear glass cover so you could still see inside. I just nodded slightly, and he said it's his mother. She died unexpectedly a few months ago. I was, to no surprise, too shocked to say anything at this point, but somehow managed to mutter the words, I'm so sorry for your loss, sir, and I'm so sorry about this. He said it was okay, gave me a small smile, and left without saying anything. When they checked out two days later, we just pretended like the whole thing never happened. Luckily enough, the elderly woman was not there. Still get goosebumps just thinking about it to this day. I'll be your server, she said as she placed a menu before me on the table. My blood ran cold when she smiled at the empty seat across from me, set down a kid's menu, and walked away. What Could Have Been by Gears19925 Narrated by Papa Scare When I was a kid, I'd see all sorts of shit in the house I grew up in. 
talking full-body shadow figures that my dogs could see and react to, too. Footsteps up and down the basement stairs all night every night. The company could hear and ask about. Even one night while my friends and I were playing pool in the basement, a random basketball bounced from a shelf on one side of the room around the corner to the pool table and just stopped to just roll underneath the table in full view of everyone there. My friends who were there still talk about that one today. My mum and grandma both had their own experiences. Everything from my mum being pushed down the stairs to my grandma having the TV remote flung out of her hand. Despite all that, I've always been a harsh skeptic. The only room in the house safe from the nonsense was my own room. My girlfriend, now wife, experienced it in the house before the fire. And she used to say she was afraid of the house apart from my room. That there was a very clear barrier that my own space had. I had another friend say something similar to me at one point. The only safe space in my house was whatever room I happened to be in. This particular friend was bigger and older than me. When the house burned down and they rebuilt, my girlfriend, now wife, was living with me and my family. She had a run-in with something much more aggressive. She sat at the computer in the kitchen facing away from the table, working on her resume. I was in our room playing some game. She thought I was coming up behind her, so she turned around, only to come face to face with a full-formed shadow that actually had a face she could see and describe. She screamed and I sprinted out to her from down the hall. As I got to the kitchen, I could also see it. It darted from the kitchen, across the living room, and made the blind smack the windows hard as it vanished through the front of the house. From then on, she was never alone while we stayed there. Scared her bad enough to not feel safe going to the bathroom without me being in the room with her, and she'd choose to hang out in my car while I was working over staying at the house. We've never had any more experiences anywhere else that we've lived. It's only paranormal because we can't scientifically describe and break down the individual occurrences. I don't know why we experienced so much of these weird events on that property, but clearly, whatever it was didn't like me. It was only ever willing to watch me from further away, whereas those that lived in the house with me were fair game to mess with directly. Perhaps you have a similar barrier to these things. They don't happen directly to you because whatever it is can't be near you. I've been tracking the serial killer for over a decade, almost losing my marriage, my job, and my house. But now, I knew I was close. As I poured over the maps, notes, letters, and photographs pinned to the garage wall, I looked at one, noticing something odd when my wife's voice whispered in my ear. Well, now you Is a demonic entity stalking my son? By Situation Piston 308. I have a major question. To start, I've been completely open to anything paranormal and have even captured pictures and recordings before. However, nothing ever affected me nor have I seen anything with my own two eyes before. Okay, 
To start, I'm a new father. My son was born at the end of June, and we got to bring him home to our apartment in July. We have lived in our current apartment for around six months and haven't experienced any paranormal activity. Until we brought our newborn son home from the hospital. Not long after we brought our son home, the first thing that happened was me and my wife were talking in our bedroom, when out of the corner of my eye, I see a white ball of light leave our closet and shoot straight into the floor. And we are on the second story. At first, I didn't say anything. I finished my sentence, and then I looked over towards the closet. My wife noticed I was looking that way, and then she asked if I saw the same thing as she saw. And yes, we saw the exact same thing. Since then, not a lot has happened. We would find doors and cabinets open or closed when we don't remember leaving in that way. Now before I get into why I'm writing this, I want to say that we have two cats that we've had for four years. They are amazing cats that are insanely nice to us and strangers. Yesterday I woke up with the back of my neck stinging really badly. So I stood up and felt it, only to feel three marks on my back of my neck. My son is asleep in his crib, and my wife is awake at the time sitting next to me reading. Our cats weren't anywhere nearby. My wife sees the scratches, and at first we blow it off thinking it had to be the cats. However, the more I thought about it, the more that didn't make sense. In four years, my cats have never scratched me. My cats sleep with us here and there, but they never go above our hips on the bed and enjoy sleeping in between me and my wife's legs. Also, why did I just now start to feel it if my cat scratched me beforehand? Now confused, I asked my wife to take a photo of the scratches. When I saw the picture, I ended up with more questions. There were three lines, two running down my neck, then one going alongside my neck at the bottom of the other two lines. It's almost the shape of an L, or maybe a V? I'm posting this curious if anyone has ever heard of any demonic or evil spirit that follow newborn babies home. I'm hoping to hear I'm overthinking things and everything is okay. But I want everyone's honest opinion for what I should do from here. Thanks for listening. And there's also an update. I did a small amount of research, and after reading a few people's suggestions, I went to try and do something about the situation, just in case it was a demonic entity. I didn't have nor knew where to get sage, but I did see that sometimes just the smell of sage can help. So I went and bought some sage-scented incense and began burning that throughout the apartment. If anything, honestly, this made me feel worse. I felt more tired and drained after doing this. In the early 90s, my grandma and grandpa would go and assist a pastor in cleansing and a few exorcisms, so I decided to give my grandma a call and describe everything that had happened. She wasn't positive if it could be, but talked me through a small prayer to say while on the phone. After I got off the phone, I decided to go and take a shower. Mid-shower, all the bulbs and lights in my bathroom went out. That evening, me and my wife laid in bed over in the direction of the son's crib, 
we heard a young boy's voice clear as day just say, Hey! After the increased level activity, I went over to my grandma's house and talked to them. They'll be coming over the next week or so to do a cleansing. I'll keep everyone posted after that. Thank you for all your advice and support. I really wish I'd paid more attention to my girlfriend, I thought as she started levitating in the air. Maybe then I would have known what her favorite song was. Hmm. My Dead Roommate by Therapy Chick Narrated by P.A. Nightmares We moved into our first home in February of 2016. It was an old home built in the early 1900s in the historical part of town. I loved it. All of the hand-carved woodwork and glass doorknobs with skeleton keys. It was exactly what I wanted and perfect for myself, 22 female at the time, and my husband, 27 male at the time. I was three months pregnant with our first, and we were so excited to start our family. We got all settled in. We noticed the house was very noisy. I rarely have my home quiet due to having tinnitus and always needing some kind of background noise to drown it out. On the rare occasions the house was quiet, there always was a lot of creaking and mostly moving coming from the loft-style attic we had. We shook it off to the house settling and being old. At least, that's what my dad told us. So we moved on. Spring came and we were scrambling to get ready for the baby. The house needed a lot of work, but we were determined to get it done. The first major encounter was on a beautiful spring day. It was the weekend and my husband and I were spending our day off working on the house. I was cleaning the kitchen, and he was working on my car in our detached garage. The way this house was built, you could see the detached garage from the window that's above the kitchen sink. I would glance out every now and then to see what he's up to. A little time passed, and I hadn't looked out at him. I started doing the dishes when I heard him walk in the living room towards the kitchen. I could feel his presence, and without turning back, I said, Hey, babe. No answer. Wondering why he didn't answer, I looked back over my shoulder, only to be met with a dark silhouette of a man standing between the living room and the kitchen. In the blink of an eye, the figure was gone. Unsure of what I'd just seen, I yelled through the window for my husband, who was still in the garage. He came in, and frantically I told him someone was in the house. Immediately, he went and grabbed his weapon and checked all over the house. Nothing was there. In all the years we lived in that house, not once did my husband see our roommate. I saw him all the time, out of the corner of my eye, peeking around corners, but more than anything, I saw him looking into the living room from the staircase that led to the attic. In the beginning, he frightened me, but after a while, I got used to him being there. I even spoke to him sometimes, telling him I'm okay if he stays in the attic and asking him to leave my baby alone. He seemed to have agreed since in the five years my son lived there, he never saw him. When we went to sell our home, the realtor brought us some historical information she found regarding the house and our neighborhood. We found out that our house and our neighbor's house was built by a brother and sister. Our home was the brother's. The last name was the same as our current neighbor, so I figured he was most likely a descendant. I asked him one day, 
and he told me that the sister was his mom, and his uncle owned our home. He said he was a kind man who lived alone and died in the home many years ago. I asked him about the attic, and he said that was his uncle's favorite place in the house. He kept all of his trinkets and projects up there, and would spend hours working on things. I didn't tell him I believed my house was haunted, as he didn't seem like the type who would believe me. Our home was listed and sold within the same day. Sometimes I wonder about the man in the attic, if the new owners are nice to him, or have even noticed his presence. I hope they give him a space, as they are only passers-by in his home like we once were. As the Grim Reaper entered my home, I fell to my knees and begged him to let me stay. In silence, he slipped past me and opened the door to the nursery. I believe I'm experiencing something, and I don't know if I'm going crazy or if I should be worried. By Aggravating Cup 5291, narrated by Papa Scare. Second time trying to type this because the first time didn't save before I finished. I'm on mobile rushing this, so ignore any grammatical mistakes. Ever since my earlier years in life, I believe I experienced something twice. And now, after many years of not, I think I am experiencing something again. My first two encounters happened when I was around 13 or 14 in middle school. Not as close to each other, but same year, same house, same room. The way my room was set up was I was sleeping on the top bed of a bunk bed with my older sister in the bottom. The beds were placed against a wall and a window. My very first encounter was at night slash early morning. I remember waking up around 4 or 5 a.m. and was half asleep in a way that I wasn't visually seeing anything, but I was hearing sounds like running water and sounds of birds. Ultimately, something peaceful. I remember just relaxing to the noises when, all of a sudden, I felt two fingers pressing as my neck. Sort of like checking a pulse, but not laying the fingers flat, just poking the area very firmly. I was still half asleep and was very confused because the fingers were coming from the side of the wall and window which was closed with the blinds down. I remember physically grabbing the fingers and feeling them. They felt like they belonged to an adult and I knew they weren't mine or my sister's because I remember specifically feeling nails. They had long nails that felt like acrylics which neither me or my sister had. The only person who did was my mother who was asleep in another room. When I processed that, I remember becoming startled and jumping up. As soon as I forced my eyes open, all the sounds stopped, and I was almost out of breath. Nothing was there. My second encounter was later that same year. Same room, but different setup. We took the bunk bed apart and placed mine against the wall, with the window by my head. It was also at night when I woke up. I don't remember the time, but... I remember watching YouTube videos and at one point, just laying back and closing my eyes. My mind wanders and I remember thinking, I wish I had more friends. And at that very moment I noticed something hover over me, because even with my eyes closed it got darker. I tried moving but it was like I was being held down. I remember just squirming, but that was all I could do. 
My body couldn't move and I couldn't open my eyes. Then, I started hearing a screeching, staticky sound coming from my right ear that was facing the wall. It started quiet, but got louder and louder, to the point it started to hurt my ears. I remember thrashing and at one point, it all stopped, and I threw myself up. I was sweaty and out of breath, and like before, I didn't see anything. These two moments scared me shitless, and I haven't experienced anything again up until now. Currently 17, around 18 but different house, different city and different people. I think I'm experiencing something, but a part of me feels like it's just me and my imagination. Especially since both of these moments were so much closer together within the same month. The first one was at night. My room is set up to where my bed is set against my wall with my mirror above my bed and my desk across from my bed. I remember listening to music with my LED lights on and I was just pacing. I looked at my mirror only to see a black figure behind me. I got scared and turned around but nothing was behind me and when I looked back nothing was in my mirror as well. So I thought it was just me. But my most recent experience happened a couple of days ago and now I just need closure and confirmation that there's even a small chance I'm not crazy. I was changing my room facing my closed closet. I have a window below my bed and had my blinds closed but was where if someone were to pass by it a very thin shadow would move across my closet door. This was in the middle of the day too. Again, I was changing and noticed a small shadow moving across my closet door. I was curious and looked at my window and saw someone passing by. And after, I looked away and went back to changing. I then noticed another shadow except it wasn't a thin line or was moving. It was a shadow of full body. It looked like a male, skinny, hair to the neck, and a little over five foot from what I saw. And it was like as if someone was shining a flashlight behind someone, that type of shadow, which was impossible because of how my blinds are. The real kicker to this, it waved at me. So me being confused because that wasn't me, I looked towards my window to see if something was there, even though it would be impossible for anyone to make a full body shadow. And shocker, I see no one, not even someone passing by. I got so confused, I looked back and the shadow was gone. At this point, I'm constantly thinking about it and I feel like I'm going crazy. I'm scared. I'm going to start having more scary experiences. Is there a chance it's just me? Is there a possibility? It might be something else. If there is even a chance, how can I protect myself? Literally, anything can help. I just need advice and clarification. I'm literally trembling writing this with my heart pounding. I frequently stay late in the office so I can catch up on work in peace and quiet. But tonight, the night guard knocked on my door and told me to go home immediately. I said I would go and tried to act normal as I packed my bag pretending I didn't know that our office didn't have a night security guard. 
and that I didn't notice the blood on his shoes. I won't drive again at night alone. Bye, a normal girly. I know I always say that I'm an overprotected child, and I am. But sometimes I have my freedom, but that only lasts a while. Some time ago, me and my family went to a city close to ours to visit family. Everything was fine, we have lots of fun, and I saw my cousins that I hadn't seen for a while. We decided to go camping but returned to my aunt's home some hours after, a little traumatized. That's another story. But more than traumatized, I was intrigued and I wanted to see and explain what happened in the woods. So I begged my mom to let me stay another day. She said that she and my dad had to work the next day. I was on vacation, so I didn't have school. My aunt then interferes and says that I can stay and that she can take care of me. My parents trusted her. Bad idea. My aunt was a remarried woman, and the guy she married, it was not much to my family's liking. He had a lot of money, but he is very arrogant and selfish. Once we did a party to celebrate my great-granny's 99th birthday at my aunt's house, he got mad and kicked us all out. We didn't even get to sing happy birthday, but luckily he was on a business trip and we were alone. I always feel something off about him. Everything was good. My cousins and I tried to return to the woods to continue investigating, but for some reason we got there feeling like we were not going to make it. So we decided to return and go to the cinema. When we get out, it's almost 10 p.m. I call my parents to tell them that I was still there and wasn't on my way. They said it's okay, but if I was returning home, better do it next day because it was really late. It should be clarified, my mother left me her car so that my cousins could return me since his car broke down in the accident in the forest. My mother left hers just in case. Me, as a very stubborn child, decided to still return that night and don't obey. But first, I needed to say goodbye to my aunt and go for some things I left there. At the time we arrived to the house, I only heard shouting from inside the house. One of my cousins cut my ears, but was in vain. The husband, we'll call him Chobi, was home. When he saw me there, he freaked out. He started yelling at me that I shouldn't be there, I was not family, and etc. I explained to my aunt I was taking my leave. She said the same thing my parents said, and I was about to agree with Chobi interfered and said that I wasn't allowed to stay in his house for the night and that I should return home. I obeyed him, because I fear Chobi. There's something weird in him that creeps me out. When me and my cousins were about to go out, Chobi again interfered and said that I'm old enough to be by myself and drive a car. It should be known that I'm 16 years old and I'm just learning to drive. But since it was night on a not-so-busy road, it could go well. He didn't let my cousin or my aunt come with me. They fear him a lot. He once slapped her. 
Yeah, maybe Chobi gives you everything you need and maintains you. But for that, you need to obey him. If you don't, bear with the consequences. So I packed my things, put them in the car. It was a short drive, like two hours. If I go, I could arrive at 12 a.m. and surprise my parents. Because they still worried for me. So my aunt walked with me to the car and apologized for the third time. I started to drive and everything was fine. I was slow because I'm still learning. But shortly before it had been an hour on the road, it started raining very hard. The truth is I felt happy because my city is in a drought, so a rain was something miraculous. So I slowed a little bit more just to be cautious. But for some reason, I got lost. I didn't know where I was anymore. I called my aunt, but nothing. My cousins, I even called Chobi. I was really stressed because I was alone at night, lost. That's how horror movies begin. I calmed down and started to drive again. I found a motel in the middle on the road. It wasn't weird because, well, it was a well-used road some of the times of the year. But it should be open, so I went there. The place looked very run down, but it had a sign saying there were some vacant rooms. I didn't hesitate and went inside, but for some reason I felt really weird. I didn't care at the time. It was late and I was wet and I wanted some sleep. I get inside and there was a receptionist, a woman in her 50s. She looked at me weirder and after a talk she told me she couldn't do anything. I can't have a room because I'm underage. But at the time a guy like in his 20s came. He said that he was the owner. Of course, it was a weird situation. He said that I could have a room and gave me a key with a really creepy smile. I take it and smile awkwardly. The receptionist was there with a really worried face. I was on my way to my room when I heard someone crying. I see at a distance a woman, but I felt that she wasn't normal. Like I have said before... I can see dead people, so I know when someone is not here. I ignored her. It's not that I go there and talk with ghosts. So I went to our room, but I couldn't sleep. Something was bothering me. Then I started to hear whispers, but that is normal, to be honest. Normally I have my earplugs and I can't hear anything anymore. But I could still hear a voice saying, Get out! That's when I decided to listen and went out. Went to the car and stayed there for a moment. Then I saw it. The owner trying to get inside my room with a key. When he entered and saw I wasn't there, he rushed outside and started to scream, heading to my car. I rapidly hid in the lower part. He peeked inside. The fear was killing me and little by little the tears began to come out. I had to get out of there as fast as possible. He didn't see me, luckily, I guess. So I called my grandpa. He's a police chief. He said he would do anything possible to save me, but I needed to get away from there. As soon as the owner leaves, I saw the golden opportunity to get in front of my car and drive as fast as I could. But there was a problem. I left the keys in the room. 
I started to cry more when I heard tapping on the window. It was a receptionist. I thought I was going to die there. I thought it was the end. But then she showed me the keys and left them there. She helped me. She saved me. The owner started to return screaming. I peeked and he was really mad. He then cursed and see the ghost woman in the pool. The man rushes there. I don't know if he was thinking it was me. But my opportunity to get the keys and run away was there or never. I did it. I turn on the car and as soon as I did, I see the man turning and starting to run towards the car. I rushed and got out of there. Five minutes on the road and a car was behind me speeding. It was my end, but I don't know, God. My grandpa and dad arrived with a police car. My mama has a tracker on my phone and her car. So they knew where I was. I saw the car passing behind me and returned where it came. I stopped the car and started to cry out loud. That was the most terrifying day ever. I arrived home and told them everything, and just like before, my grandfather immediately investigated. After some weeks, the guy was arrested, and turned out he was a fugitive. He had essayed women and came to kill two. I suspected that one of them was the crying woman. When I asked him about the receptionist, he told me in there they had only found the guy alive. He asked me how did the woman look, and I gave a description. His face turned pale immediately. He showed me a picture and asked me if that was the woman. I said yes, it was her, but she looked more healthy in the photo, and more happy. Turns out that she was the last victim. He killed her. She was dead. I was going to be essayed, maybe even killed, and I was saved by ghosts or spirits. Sometimes I said that my gift of seeing paranormal things is a curse, but sometimes I feel like it's a blessing. I could have been dead, but I survived thanks to those spirits. Maybe this isn't so paranormal, but like I've said before, you should be afraid of living, not the dead. I want to end this on a happy note. My stepbrother's wife is pregnant, and she let me choose the baby's name, and it's a girl. I called her Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the name of the victim, the name of the woman that saved me, the name of the woman that I owe my life to. I wish I could help my father in the field instead of just watching him do all the hard work all alone all day. But my friend from the adjoining field says humans don't like when scarecrows move on its own. I was so happy when my teacher said he would email my parents about my amazing progress and attitude to learning. That was, of course, until I got home and remembered I didn't remind him to use my old name. Just Rats by Author Unknown Narrated by 242, PA Nightmares, and Phoenix Fire I want to tell you a story. It's a story of a man. 
You see, my great-grandma was a really nice old lady. She had a really nice little old lady house. We used to go there a lot before she passed away several years ago, and my grandparents tore it down to build a new house for themselves on top. One thing I distinctly remember was her attic. Boy, was it effing scary. It was dark. Only one light bulb would work, and you had to be really careful, because there was a lot of exposed insulation. So if you stepped off the boards to get around, you'd probably fall straight through the ceiling into the room below. But it wasn't so much the atmosphere of the attic, but the fact that it was dark, dusty, and smelled a little weird. It was a story my uncle and dad used to tell me about the attic. A very long time ago, when my grandpa was just a little boy, they moved into this house. It was nice. Two bedrooms, a nice bathroom, dining room, and kitchen. My great-grandparents made a very decent living. My great-grandfather owned a very successful body shop, and my great-grandmother sold Avon. One day, my grandpa was playing in the living room when there was a knock at the door. He answered it, and there stood a man. He was wearing a nice suit and holding a nice hat against his chest, with a polite smile on his face. Hello there, Junior, he said. Is your father home? My great-grandfather approached the door, suspicious. If you're selling anything... I'm not interested. Thanks. He said before trying to close the door. But no, this stranger interrupted with a start. No, no, sir. I'm no salesman. I'd just like to talk if you wouldn't mind. About what? My great-grandfather asked. I was wondering if I could take a look in your attic. You see, I I used to live here and it, it... would really bring back some memories. The man was nervous, but my great-grandfather wasn't about to fall for any con man. Sorry, sir. My wife's about to finish dinner. Not interested. So he shut the door and ushered my young grandfather away. A day passed, and it was another hot summer day. My great-grandmother was fixing my grandpa lunch when she heard a knock. Wallace, could you get the door? She called to my great-grandpa, who sighed and obeyed his wife. It was the man again. Now you listen here, mister. I already told you, I don't want some stranger in my house. You leave me and my family alone before you upset my son and wife. And if you upset them, I think there's going to be some trouble. Please, sir, the man pleaded, wearing his hands. It'll only take a moment. I absolutely must get up there if even for ten minutes. This time, my grandfather didn't give him the liberty of a goodbye. Only a slammed door. A few days pass, peacefully playing, working. The life of your average Canadian upper-middle-class family took place as usual. My great-grandfather, great-grandmother, and grandfather sat eating dinner one evening. I like to imagine they were having Grandma Grandma's, this is what I like to call her, roasted chicken and potatoes. So delicious. But I digress. Again, a knock on the door, 
and it sounded important. I swear, if it's that son of a asking to get in our attic again, I'll be tuned to his clock, but good. My great-grandpa muttered, getting up. Wallace, please, nothing in front of little Jim, my great-grandmother cried. It was the man again. He was not, however, alone. He was with another man who looked similar. Now, sir, before you chase this away, please understand we're brothers and we absolutely must speak with you. He said before my great-grandfather could curse him out up and down. Well, spit it out then, man. Now you've gone and interrupted my supper after a long day's work, and this had better be good. My great-grandfather threatened. Tell me, sir, have you ever heard strange noises in your house? Scratching, shuffling, maybe even like moaning from your attic? The new man asked calmly. My great-grandfather turned stone cold. His son had often whined of scratching and other sounds, to which both his parents attributed to maybe mice. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Why do you ask? He asked coolly, crossing his arms. The men at the door exchanged worried glances. If only you'd let us come up to your attic. You could come up if you like, but it would be better if you told your son to go to his room, your wife to the kitchen, and us men to the upstairs. So my great-grandfather told my grandpa to go play, asked his wife to clear the table, and led the men up into the dank attic. They used it for only storage. There was no real reason to come up here, ever. The two men looked around and knocked on the wood of the walls in the attic in various different spots. Knock, knock. Hollow. Knock, knock. Hollow. Knock, knock. Not hollow. My great-grandfather froze as they nodded at one another before turning to him. Now, sir... Please believe us when we say we'll pay for any damages that need to be fixed, and that what we're about to do may be very shocking, maybe even frightening to you. So you may very well not want to see what's about to happen. My great-grandfather pondered right then and there about turning his heels and waiting downstairs. But no, he had to be the man and stay for his family's sake. Go ahead, then. What's in there? He asked. He wished he hadn't. The two men pulled at the boards, peeling away the old wood fairly easily. My great-grandfather felt viscous bile build in his stomach and throat. The smell. Oh, God, the smell. His body was frail and gnarled, His skin was ghostly white, and his bare teeth were yellow as freshly boiled sweet corn. His eyes were open, glazed over and staring. The pupils were milky. He was blind. The whites were barely that. Instead, they were bloodshot to the point that was almost unbelievable. His fingernails resembled long brown talons. 
horror filled my great-grandfather as the two men bowed their heads. It's him, said one. The other only sighed and covered his nose with his sleeve. This thing, this remnant of a once-living man was dead, but freshly. That was when my great-grandfather had reached his boiling point. Now, you had better both explain to me, right now, just what in God's name is going on here. Is this some sort of sick joke? I ought to blow the brains out of both of you where you stand. He bellowed. Sam, go get the blankets from the car. I'll explain. One man said as Sam nodded and left. Sir, please understand. We're no monsters. You see, this is our brother. He began fretfully, looking at the mangled creature in the wall. Your brother, you six sons of locked your own brother on the wall? My great-grandfather cried out, placing a hand on his queasy stomach. Never, sir, never, said the man. My father just passed. We never even knew this poor boy existed our whole entire lives. My other brother and I. Now, it would seem our brother here was born with some sort of mental retardation. Something that my mother and father couldn't handle as parents. So, they chose to do the unthinkable rather than face the public with their shame. He explained, motioning for the shell of a man. Mind you, the story takes place in a time when something like a mental defect was seen as a terrible, embarrassing thing. My great-grandfather held his head and looked at the dead man, then back at the stranger. Get this, this thing out of my house. Send someone over to patch up your mess, and then you never, ever come near my family again. You hear me? He ordered. You can rely on that, sir. We had not wanted to bother you in the first place, but we couldn't sleep at night knowing some poor family member was stuck with him living up in your walls, you see. He probably was sucking the moisture from the ceiling and eating bugs and mold, I would think. It's amazing he could have survived. My great-grandfather suddenly said nothing. He only watched as Sam returned and the two men bundled their strange, demented, and dead brother, leaving with countless thank yous followed by a repairman and a gorgeous fruit basket a day later. When my great-grandmother asked what happened, my great-grandfather couldn't bear telling her. Rats. He said. Just rats. Walking to school with my little sister was the highlight of my day. Until she got hit by a car. At least she's able to see me now that we are both dead. Somebody has been leaving notes around my house. They're starting to freak me out. By Silster Spooley. Narrated by 242 Reads, Dark Little Voices, Shade and Decay, and Phoenix Fire. They started innocently enough. Don't forget your keys. 
read the first message, scrawled on a sticky note in loopy letters. It had been left on my fridge door. It immediately grabbed my attention, because at the time, I lived alone. I had no memory of writing it, and the handwriting didn't match mine or anyone I knew. I was slightly perturbed, but wasn't sure how to react. In the end, I just tossed the note and went to work. The second note came a few days later, left on my kitchen counter. The sticky note was pink this time, but still had the same distinctive loopy handwriting. Make sure to pack a lunch today. Again, I was unsettled. Now, any normal person might have reported this to the police, but during that time, I was going through a major depressive spell. I had moved to a new city, away from my friends and family, and had started a new job that I quickly realized I hated, and didn't nearly pay enough. Home was lonely, and work was so crushing. I had trouble enough getting out of bed each morning, let alone filling a report that I'm sure the police would not have taken seriously. Even more stress, I crumbled up the note. However... I ended up packing a small lunch for myself. Usually I didn't bother to put in the effort and just ate cafeteria food. But against my better judgment, I fulfilled the wish of the note. That day the cafeteria was closed. The main cafeteria fridge had broken overnight and many of the frozen lunches inside had gone bad. Management thought it'd be better to shut it down for the day. A feeling of unease settled in my stomach after learning the news. It was as if the note had predicted it. The notes continued throughout the following weeks. They would typically show up on random days, no more than three notes to a day. They were all left in obvious places in my apartment, all on sticky notes and in that unfamiliar loopy handwriting. They began to grow more prophetic. Take I-80 today. There will be a bad accident on your way home. Janet is going to offer some cookies at the office. Politely decline. They will give you food poisoning. Marie has been on a diet. Compliment her on her weight loss. She'll end up thinking well of you. Of course. I tested the notes to see if they were accurate. Every time I ignored their advice, whatever it warned against came true. One day a note said to pack an umbrella, and I on purpose didn't. It was forecast to be sunny that day, so any normal person wouldn't think to pack one. But sure enough, I got soaked that evening walking to my car. I was incredibly curious about the notes. There were so many questions I had about them. And those unanswered questions kept festering in my head. I tried writing notes back in return and leaving them out, but never got a response. I'd speak out loud and ask questions as if, or in case, the note writer could somehow hear me. But this only made me feel foolish. I'd occasionally make a surprise visit home at odd hours just to see if I could catch the note writer leaving their notes. Of course, I never caught them. I tried installing cameras in my apartment, even making sure all the cameras were completely hidden, 
but the next day I found every single one of the camera's insides completely torn out and placed on the kitchen table with a single note next to them reading. Never do that again. The note stopped coming after that, which made me deeply regretful. I had grown accustomed to the notes. I had begun to rely on them even. They had significantly improved my way of life over the last few months, both mentally, financially, and socially. I had actually started making friends at the office thanks to their advice. And for the first time in my life, I was even a bit popular. My managers, who before the notes didn't pay much interest in me, now vowed my presence and would ask my opinion on projects. It was no secret. I was on my way to promotion. Could I still do that without the notes? I also vowed the notes as a friend, as weird as that sounds. Or more like a guardian angel. Wherever they were from, they were always protecting me. Without them, the future was suddenly unknown, dangerous. Every time some mild annoyance popped up from that point, from bad traffic to stressful work situations, and even a minor paper cut, I thought about how this all probably could have been avoided if I still had the notes. The next week, a bright green sticky note appeared on my bathroom mirror. Don't forget to call mom today. It's her birthday. I nearly cried. I decided to sack my investigation and just accept things as they were. Slowly the fog of my depressive spell began to lift and I could feel myself returning to how I used to be. My confidence rose, and for the first time in a while, I felt in equilibrium with my life. I went out, cracked jokes, and even managed to clean up my apartment. I also managed to get a girlfriend somehow. Her name was Amanda. I met her at a pub when I was out with my buddies. The best part of all this was, for some reason, she seemed to actually be into me. She was gorgeous, way out of my league, really with long, ombre hair that reached down to her back with soft brown eyes. Her laugh was lovely, and the lemon-scented perfume she liked to wear was intoxicating. She was the type of girl you could chat with for hours and never run out of things to talk about. The relationship was still new, so I was trying not to plan our whole future together in my head. But she was so lovely, it was hard not to. At some point, I briefly thought about telling her about the notes. I've always wanted to tell someone about it, but never really had anyone to tell up until now. I decided not to, however, afraid she might think I'm crazy. There was no point so early in a relationship making her think I was loony. Plus, I was afraid the notes might stop again. If whoever was leaving them clearly didn't want me looking into them, how would they react if I shared what was happening with somebody? So at that moment, I kept it to myself. 
Amanda had a hobby of cooking and had invited me to her house on Saturday for, in her words, the best fucking spaghetti you'll ever eat. I was pumped since this was the first time I'd actually visit her house. I was in a good mood that evening as I was getting ready for the date. I hummed to myself happily thinking about how lovely it was going to be and went downstairs to grab my keys. On the kitchen counter was a new hot pink sticky note. I picked it up instinctively. Kill your girlfriend. My brain stopped for a moment. I read it once, twice, a third time. The words flashing in my brain but hitting an error every time. I sat the note down and gulped, feeling nauseous. Anxiously, I went to my car and started driving. I tried not to think about the note, but the words kept circling my mind. Kill your girlfriend. The note had never failed me before, and they were always in my best interest as far as I knew. Which was admittedly not much. Maybe they were wrong this time. Maybe it wasn't meant to take literally. Kill could be a cinnamon for a breakup, right? My mind kept trying to make up poor excuses the whole way there. By the time I arrived, I was a sweaty mess and not a lick calmer. I pulled down my sun visor to check my face and a bright green sticky note fluttered out. I went cold. The note had never appeared outside my house before. Hands shaking, I picked up the note and read it. Kill Amanda. Take the gun from your glove box and shoot her. I looked at my glove box wide-eyed. I did indeed keep a handgun in my glove box for safety purposes. I wanted to puke, to believe this wasn't happening. Again, I ignored the note and walked up to Amanda's house, trying to shake the message from my mind. She answered the door almost immediately after I rung the doorbell. Hey, what's up? She said with a bright smile, but when she saw my face, her smile dropped. You okay, Gary? What's wrong? She said with concern. (laughs) Nothing. I lied, trying to force a smile. Well, actually, I think I have a bit of a stomach ache. Come in, come in. She said, ushering me in. The inside of her house was cute and homely. She fretted over me worried as she led me over to her kitchen table. She then took my hand and rubbed it, trying to comfort me. If you're not feeling up to spaghetti, we can always have it another time. Don't worry about it. Do you want any antacids or something? I smiled. The way she was so concerned for me over a simple stomach ache made me fall in love with her all over again. My heart panged with both love and guilt. The aroma of cooked spaghetti was also extremely strong, and even though she said it was fine, I knew it would probably be a bummer for her to pack away all that spaghetti after just making it. I'm fine, sweetie. I I probably have a stomach ache because I haven't eaten much today. I was looking forward so much for your spaghetti. Her smile returned again. I always loved how fast she smiled at things. 
Well then, Mr. Hungry, let me grab you a bowl. She left for the kitchen. I reclined back inside, sticking my hands in my pockets. I felt a crinkle of paper. No, no. I pulled the paper out of my right pocket. Take your chair and bash her head in. I had a hard time controlling my breathing as I stuffed my note back into my right pocket. I also felt paper in my left pocket, and against my mind screaming for me not to, I pulled it out, realizing it was actually two notes crinkled together. Shakily, I unwrinkled the first note. Do not eat the spaghetti. Drugged. What's that, Gary? Asked Amanda behind me. I nearly jumped out of my skin. I stuffed the notes back into my left pocket. Oh, just some note from work I forgot was in my pocket is all. I said in a weird voice. She frowned, looked like she wanted to say something, but then thought better of it. Here, babe. She said gently, handing me a bowl of spaghetti. It looked heavenly. I wanted to puke. She sat next to me with her own bowl. She rested her head in my hands and looked at me excitedly, expectantly. I stared at her blankly. Well, take a bite, silly. She said, gesturing towards my bowl. I, I, uh, I'm so sorry. I really need to use your bathroom. I jumped up and started looking for her bathroom. She jumped after me, looking confused. Gary, what's wrong? You've been acting weird. When I found the right door, I went in and locked the door behind me. She kept knocking and knocking. Gary? Gary! Seriously, what's wrong with you? Is the stomachache that bad? Talk to me, Gary, please. I backed up against the bathroom wall, then sank down to the floor. I pulled out the two notes from my left pocket again, this time reading the second note. My heart sank. She is not Amanda. After decades of research, we sent out our greatest explorers to a planet that could sustain life. It didn't take long for the aliens to torture them to death and perform autopsies, leaving us horrified and vowing to never make contact with Earth again. A satisfied smile stretched across my face as the drugs were pushed from the syringe. The rush I got from committing the murders was nothing compared to watching the wrong man executed for them. Keylogger by Anonymous Narrated by Miss Creepytales I've only had one bad experience with the deep web and it is way more than enough in my personal opinion. I'm not an overly technical person, and I'm not a tech genius. I'm no hacker extraordinaire, 
but I do know my way around the internet, and I have an understanding of what indexing and non-indexed pages, or deep web, actually are. I took a few classes on the internet security, and there were a couple sections dedicated to deep web and dark web, or at least explaining what they were and how the technology worked, like onion routing and encryption, and I felt confident enough to get on the deep web and thought that I could keep myself safe. And that confidence was my first mistake, but in my defense, this situation could have happened on the surface web. It just made it that much creepier that it was on the deep web. Because I wasn't interested in any of the illegal content on the dark web, I kept myself confined to the part of the deep web that were closer to the surface. Basically, the waiting pool of the deep web. Of these pages, I mostly visited things like forums and discussion boards, and I had this personal appreciation for anonymous conversations. And while I wasn't a troll or aggressive or anything, I was a bit more out with my opinion and personality as there wasn't a name associated with the statement. Now, in order for this to all make sense, I have to explain a bit about what happened and then kind of explain the how because it won't make sense otherwise. As I stated, I spent a good amount of time on the forums. I spoke with people that I honestly considered my friends and I learned a lot. It was actually kind of nice, kind of like there was a place that I belonged, like a bar but with text and random people that were faceless. Now, on the main forum I would use, most people signed their posts and messages with a pseudoname. Of course, there was no control over this, and anyone could use anyone else's name on their post, and no one would be the wiser. Strangely enough, it was kind of an honor system, and most people followed it. My name on this site was ironically, No Girls on the Net. It was supposed to be a joke, a play on the claim that there are no girls on the internet, just guys pretending to be girls. This was ironic because I was a girl. Anyways, on this forum, I was fairly well known to a lot of people in my subboards, and people would refer to me as girl. I know, not exactly specific, but typically, when someone said girl, they were talking to me. Anyways, I was friends with a lot of people on this page, and they were all decent, never ran into anyone that I thought was really creepy for the most part. But that all fell apart when I got a message on Facebook one day from some guy that I had never seen before named Derek. And the message just said, Hey girl. At first, I didn't put two and two together. I thought he was just being a douche, and I told him as such. My response was simply, What an incredibly rude and derogatory way to refer to someone. Give me one reason... I should even bother responding to you beyond this. 
The sky responds with, I thought that's what everyone called you. At least, that's what I've always called you. You're no girls on the net, right? When I read this, I was a bit freaked out. How had this person found my personal Facebook? There was absolutely no connection between me and that account, and I was always careful not to post anything that could be considered personally identifiable. And I had no idea how he could have connected the dots. I asked who he was, and he once again asked if that was my username. I didn't want to tell him yes, but I also didn't want to say anything that may indirectly confirm that it was me. So, I ended up just having to say that it wasn't me and that I hoped that he found whoever it was that he was looking for. He responded with a smiley face, and then that was it for that conversation. I thought that was the end of it. I thought he had bought it, but I was wrong. I was very wrong. About a week later, I got a letter in the mail. And while this was a bit off, in today's day and age that is, I didn't think much of it. I took it in and opened it, then pulled out the letter. It was a printed letter that pretty much just said, Don't lie to me, girl. I know it's you. I want to get to know you better. Here's my phone number. Shoot me a text when you get this. P.S. I will know that you got it. I was seriously freaked out. This guy was sending me letters, which meant that he knew my address. Not only that, but he claimed that he would somehow know if I got the letter and didn't tell him. How? That's when I looked over the envelope to see if I could find a return address. And then I realized that there wasn't one. On top of that, there weren't any stamps on the envelope either. Which meant that it hadn't gone through the post office and it was most likely hand-delivered. Which then told me how he was going to know I got it. My next mistake was calling the number. If I was going to fix this problem, I was going to have to do it head on. I pulled out my phone and called him. And when he answered, he started off with, Hey, sweetheart. I was legitimately disgusted. My response to him was, I'm not your sweetheart. I don't even know who the hell you are. How did you find my information? He avoided the question, but started saying that he was in love with me and that he needed me in his life. I once again told him that I had no idea who he was and that I wasn't interested. He told me to get interested or things were going to be difficult between us. I had had enough. I told him that he was a creep and that he needed to get a life and then I hung up. He tried calling me back a couple times, but I ignored it. Then, he texted me, and I think that I nearly pissed myself. The message that he sent me said, You're going to love me, one way or another. 
Don't make me hurt you. Then, followed it up with, See you later, sweetheart. Obviously, I was panicked. This dude was a super creep, and he had no issue with being creepy out in the open like this. But I really didn't have much, in ways of options, since he hadn't actually done anything. Being a creep isn't really a crime, until they escalate. Well, it escalated pretty quickly. It was actually that same night when things happened. Around 8 that evening, I heard a knock on my door. I, unfortunately, knew it was most likely him. I pulled the curtain open from the side window, and I saw this guy standing there in a hooded sweatshirt and black pants. Pretty obvious red flag in this case. He stood there at the door and kept knocking, then started yelling that he knew that I was home. I stayed off to the side where he couldn't see me and I dialed 911 on my cell phone. When they asked what the emergency was, I said loud enough for him to hear me that there was some creep trying to break into my house, hoping that it would be enough to get him to go away. What I didn't expect was him to smash the glass of my front door with a hammer and reach in to unlock the door. What he didn't expect was my brother, a trained police officer, to come around the corner with his gun locked on him the second he stepped into the house. As soon as my brother screamed, Get on the ground! This guy started yelling, Don't shoot me and then fell to his knees. My brother restrained him, and the cops showed up to arrest him. When they got him out and in their car, they came back to tell us what they had pulled off of him. This dude came with zip-tie cuffs, a large knife, the hammer obviously, and a pillowcase stuffed into the hoodie pocket. Basically, it was like that he planned to kidnap me, cuff me, put the pillowcase over my head, and take me out to his van, which he had parked just outside. In the van, they found condoms, adult toys, and various other creeper things that I don't really want to think about right now. So that's the what. But the question becomes the how. How did he find me? How did he know who I was? How did he connect my stupid username with me as a person? Easy. I was an idiot, and apparently had clicked a link that he posted on the forum. This guy had linked to something on the forum page that I apparently was interested in, and it had malware that loaded into my system because I had some stupid software, something like JavaScript or Flash or something, that was out of date, and this guy was able to drop a key logger on my system. That, plus those fantastic little things in Chrome and Firefox that will save your personal info for quicker entry. Things like your address and name and all that. Yeah, that helped him tremendously. This guy had infected my system, and I had, unbeknownst to me, given him all my personal information. Then he turned into a super creep. 
Like I said above, this could have technically happened on the surface web, but I think it was more likely to happen on the deep web forum. Because I had taken my anonymity for granted. I thought I was safe. I thought I was invincible because my name was not connected to the board or the post. So, take that as a lesson. Do not think that anonymity is invincibility and make sure you update your computer. The zombie horde was easy to survive. Mother Nature took the vast majority through natural decomposition. We've been hiding for decades from the hurricane of biting flies that consume everything dead or alive. I sold myself on the deep web by Doomed Geek. What do you do when there's nothing else left? I was a college graduate who, two years after collecting my certification, was still unemployed. There was a gaping blank on my resume. Add to that the fact that my debts were out of control, and it's fair to say I was a mess and growing even more desperate. So what was I doing about this? How was I digging myself out of a hole? I was staying up all night trawling through the internet. Is there a point which the internet does not end and sanity begins? I neither knew nor cared. I watched thousands of clips, read conspiracy theories and news reports, until I blurred into a stream of hyperbole. I slept fitfully during the day and went back online the minute I woke up. I would surf even though I needed to go to the bathroom, until it hurt. I forgot to eat or drink, and soon I had a permanent background headache. Like a lot of addicts, it was not that long before I moved on to the harder stuff, the deep web. I was sickened by a lot of what I saw, but still immersed myself more and more when I stumbled across a site that changed my life. It looked fairly innocuous at first. There was a simple hero image of an outline of a human body and a drop-down menu in the top right-hand side accessed via three short lines. For other people, it's one more bet, one more drink. I clicked one more link. I was surprised to see only two options, buyer and seller. Wasn't going to buy anything real soon, so I followed the worn marked seller. The submenu left me open mouthed. It listed items that could be sold and gave the price the seller would receive. All I needed to do was add details for my preferred way to receive payment, then tick the box next to the item. The first item on the list was likeness. For the price shown, I could pay the two months I was overdue on rent and buy wine and pizza every night for a week with what was left over. Now, I was not sure what they meant by likeness. Other items that I could sell via the website were more straightforward. 
Things like my social insurance number, my date of birth, even my name. All of these seemed like a way to commit fraud for the buyers. All very dubious, but at least, I thought, they were paying to use these details rather than simply stealing them as so often happened. Likeness seemed more ethereal, though. I decided it meant the right to use my image, a photograph of my face. I also decided I really wanted a beer and pizza, and to be able to tell my landlord to get off my back because I had paid your damn rent. I add my details for the money transfer and press the box next to likeness, then press submit. A transaction processing symbol turned into a transaction complete. A new box appeared, giving me the option to comment. I typed, do you need me to send you my photograph? Thinking this would answer my question about what exactly I just sold. A moment later, the reply came, we already have it. I flashed back to some of the things I had done in front of my computer screen, then decided I'd rather not think about it. Feeling nervous, sure I was being scammed, about to kick myself for being so naive, I checked my balance. What do you know? The money was in there. I went back to the good old innocent web and ordered the largest, most overloaded pizza I could think of, and then began to add sides. It took me two weeks for me to blow through the money from selling my likeness. I had a great time without leaving my apartment and I had paid no rent. Not to worry, I told myself, returning to the deep web and my new favorite website. This time, I hovered over fingerprints. 30 seconds considering, flagged a dozen dodgy things this could lead to, but it was the money I would make that made me think, whatever. I ticked and submitted, this time, ten small boxes appeared on screen with instructions for me to place the end of my fingers in them. Which I did, and within seconds the transaction was complete, and within minutes I could see that I was once again flush. Problems over, I could pay my rent, enough of my credit card to make the bank back off. In the comment box, I typed, thank you. The reply was almost immediate. You are welcome. Now, I don't know if anyone listening to this is a gambler, but I guess if they are, they would not by now have put money on me spending the money wisely, and they would have been right. This time, I told myself another couple weeks later, I would get my acting gear. I spent a significant time going through the items I could sell and create a spreadsheet with how much I owed. So, I knew the amount I needed to earn with this one final sale of parts of me. I had decided, you see, that this had to be the last time. There was a relatively small number of things left I could sell, that I was prepared to sell. My name, date of birth, and social security number were still no-goes. I did not want to risk losing the ability to have a bank account and find employment. A history of being a disaster did not mean, in my mind, that I always would be. So, one final sale it was, then clear my debts and find a job.
I ticked the box next to cell body part. From the next list, ticked kidney. I was close to hyperventilating when I pressed submit. Close to tears, not long after when I checked my balance, I felt a huge pressure being lifted. With this money, I could finally get my life back on track. The comment box already had text in it. I had been too worked up to read it, so I took a deep breath and did. It had an eight-digit reference number, an address, and a time later that day. An appointment for me to have my kidney removed, I figured. I considered not going. I already had the money, so why bother? Then I thought back to the message telling me they already had my photograph. Whoever ran the website probably knew where I lived as well, or could easily find out. It was not rocket science to work out that they were probably bad people, criminals, some kind of gang, not people to cross or mess with. I felt sick as I left the apartment at the prospect of having an operation, but also elated at the amazing thing lying ahead of me. I just needed to get this over with. The address turned out to be a nondescript building on the outskirts of town. The windows were all shuttered and there was no signage, just a human outline I recognized from the website. A keypad was fixed into the wall next to the sturdy-looking door. Not sure what else to do, I entered my reference number. The door slid open with a sigh. My stomach doing backflips, I stepped inside. I could hear the drone of an air conditioner, but still suddenly felt very hot. Nerves, I told myself. Totally natural. I seemed to be some kind of reception area, but it seemed it was deserted. Scratch that. A man appeared. He was wearing a white overalls and a mask and safety glasses. He may or may not have been smiling when he said, Welcome. Let's get you prepared. I followed him along a long corridor. The walls were blank, whitewashed, and the smell of antiseptic was growing stronger. Eventually, he turned off into a small, windowless room. I hesitated on the threshold. There was a raised table. Fluorescent strips overhead, a stack of equipment next to the bed. Medical, I guessed, though I had no idea. Please, the man said and gestured that I should come in. I smiled weakly and did. He gave me a robe to put on and turned to do something to the equipment while I got changed. I assumed I needed to lie on the table, and when he looked around from whatever it was you had been doing and saw me, he said, Good. Made me feel like a dog rolling over and playing dead, but I kept this to myself. I did, though, have some questions. Is this safe? I asked. Perfectly, he replied without missing a beat. I wasn't sure. I felt hot to the point where I thought I was going to faint, and the light overhead was flickering, making pain start to flow above my eyes. I'm not sure I want to go ahead with this, I said. There is nothing to be concerned about, 
He replied, and before I realized what was happening, had nicked the skin of my neck with a needle. I immediately felt an unpleasant tingling sensation and a numbness began to spread up into my face. He picked up the tab of the computer that was resting among the equipment and studied it for a moment before turning back to look at me and asked, Now, which eye would you like to keep? What? I exclaimed, or tried to, because my lips were numb and the words came out slurred. What are you talking about? I managed. I sold one of my kidneys, not my eyes. I did not wait for an answer. I was horrified and decided I wanted out of there. I tried to sit up, but the numbness had spread to my spine and then my arms. I was helpless to do anything but lie there and watch as he once more studied the tablet. No, no, he said in a quiet, relaxed tone. The records show that he agreed to sell a body part, but did not specify which one. I ticked kidney, I tried to say, but now my mouth would not move and I could not feel my tongue. I could feel my heart beating faster and faster. Felt like I could not breathe. Cold sweat trickled down into my eyes, blurring my vision. I could see this. I could not feel it. I wanted to scream, wanted to cry out in terror, but my jaw was locked, my limbs useless. All I could do was watch as the scalpel came into view, and as he lowered it towards my left eye. It will be over soon, he said, and then the blade became a shadow over my eye, a darkness that was soon all I could see. That was then. This is now. I'm writing this in an internet cafe. After trashing my laptop's hard drive and ditching it, there's just me in here and the owner. I think he would like me to leave from the dirty looks he's giving me. But before I head off, I have one more thing to do. I have enough money to buy a coach ticket and go a long way from here away from everything and everyone I have ever known. I just logged onto the site and found what I was looking for in the seller menu. Name. Date of birth. Social security number. I tick sell on all three, enter the details in the box that pops up, press mint. Moments later, the money is in my account. I have been withdrawing so much cash I have daily, and after I go across the road to the ATM and draw the last amount, I will snap my card in half and throw it away. This will be a fresh start, the past wiped clean left behind. I'm going to stop writing now and go. It's time to log off for good and make my escape. Only the screen has changed, the comment box has opened up, and a new message has appeared. We like and follow you. I feel tears begin to flow from my eye they did not take. When I was five, I was blessed with a power being sent back five minutes when I died. 
as I woke up in the club minutes before the bombs dropped for the 17th time, I realized it was a curse. <laughs>